0: Good evening, Katie Chapel. This is Reverend Harrington with you for Bible study tonight. And I thank Pastor for giving me this opportunity. And welcome to Wednesday night Bible study. So to start off, let us have a moment of prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for the opportunity to share together as children of God. We ask now that what we say and what we share tonight would be beneficial for the building of your kingdom. It is in the precious name of Jesus. And let everybody say hi and hello and amen to the Lord. All right. So if you're online, I needed to know that some of you good family folks are out there. Please give me a good evening. Uh, Let me know you're Hearing what we're here for. Uh, Dorothy Jones, thank you. Jackie, thank you so much for being with us. Beverly, it is so nice to have you on board. Andre, thank you. Francis, Sister Moody, so good to see you. Josephine, thank you. I'm so glad to see you. I I am really happy. Miss Kari, thank you. I'm so glad you're able to get on. Uh, Miss Ketchins, oh miss juanita how are you miss norwood so good to have you on board linda stewart thank you for being with us oh my goodness mr green thank you for being online and miss butler linda butler thank you so much and uh miss wilson linda wilson thank you annie sutton thank you so much for joining us and uh eugene glad you're on board with us tonight So as we start, Francis, I'm glad you're there. I mean, it's so many of you guys. I want to go ahead and get started uh, because I know our time is short and I I really respect your time and being with us tonight. Well, when Pastor texted me, he gave me one instruction. He said, you are to end Black History Month. So here I am. I call myself now these days. A living legend at 73 years old, and I tell you, I was so happy to be in uh, Houston, Texas area this past weekend. And I actually reviewed the Sunday school lesson. So I want to start with Habakkuk, Habakkuk two, and what it said to us. It told us that he had a vision, but God gave him instructions. He told him to write it down, put it on a tablet and then he said make it plain so that others would understand it so in that vein many times i have thought about things and i didn't write them down things that have been monumental in my christian walk and i didn't write them down but i praise god that in 2020 he allowed me to do some serious uh thinking and i asked him i prayed mighty a recall, and he allowed me to write this book. Grown at 13, and because of this book, that was part of the reason that I was in Texas was because they asked me to come out and lecture, and actually to be the keynote speaker for the Freedom Fund Awards Dinner. So what I did in Texas, I have been doing for the past two years since. Grown at 13 was published. And that's talking to as many people and especially young people about what does it mean when God puts a calling on your life? And then what do you do with it? How do you use it? And I spent a lot of time today, in fact. In fact, you see these uh, beautiful roses that are here on my desk was given to me by Midtown uh, Public Charter School. I spent us nine nine o'clock to two o'clock, all of their classes came through their library auditorium. And I talked to them about their lives as young people and not being afraid to listen to God at an early age and then know if there's a calling on your life that you can actually work on that calling. I'm going to depend on you guys online a lot tonight because I want to hear from you. I want comments and then, of course, any questions that you may have. But at this time, I want you to be uh, very prayerful with me. Uh, Because of what I did today, it is very stressful. Uh, Most of you may not know that I suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. And when I read like I did today, I go to that place just like it just happened. So uh, I asked T.A. if he could recap what was said today, and we're going to discuss some of the things that was carried out in that presentation. So. Since there's so many of us in here, one of the things that um, I talk about when I talk to young people, is attention. (laughs) And because my presentation is gonna be so varied, and I have a limited amount of time, I'm gonna ask for your complete attention. Is that okay? Yes! Let me start off by telling you the things that are on the table. Visual is very important, so I decided to bring a few of the things of my past. And here are, I call them my mentors, these are people that actually impressed my life, and as they impressed my life, it was because of the things that they were already doing. How many of you heard of Shirley Chisholm? Great! She was the one that advised me in 1981 when I ran for city commissioner here in Jackson, Mississippi. And because I ran for city commissioner, I did not win the race, but Henry Kirksey won a lawsuit that changed our former government into the current former government that we have now. The other person that was a a complete influential mentor was Clary Collins Harvey. Now, I probably have less people that have ever heard of her. Anyone in here heard of Clarie Collins Harvey? Wonderful. Ms. Harvey, Dr. Harvey, was the owner of Collins Funeral Home and insurance agencies across the state of Mississippi. In the 1970s, she was the richest black woman in our state because of those businesses. She was the one that taught me how business operations fit into the movement. Now, another fact about her, she was the person that embalmed Megar Evers. And 20 years later, when they were trying to find evidence about whether or not Byron De La Beckwith had killed Megar Evers, it was because of the ancient Egyptian way that she had embalmed Maker Evers, that they were able to find the evidence. When they exhumed, do you know what that word means? They brought his body up in Arlington Cemetery and they say he still looked the same. The third person that was an influential part of my life was Margaret Walker Alexander. At Jackson State University, is the Margaret Walker Center. In her files is the evidence of how close our relationship was because she was one of the main backers for me when I ran for city commissioner. She was a port, a tremendous writer, and she was the one that taught me the importance of going in the library and just picking up any book and starting to read it to learn more about the world. The greater influence in my life would have been my father, J.B. Harrington, and my mother, and I have a picture of my mother over on the other end of the table. But my father marched beside me in the Meredith March Against Fear when James Meredith was not allowed to go into Ole Miss. We started at Tougaloo College that day, and we marched all the way to the Capitol. And because of my father, I have always been one of those who could think outside of the box. One of the other things you'll see on the table is a voter registration card. My parents bought property in Jackson in 1953. In 1956, they registered to vote by sending in their poll tax. Now the uniqueness of that was they sent the poll tax by mail and their voter registration cards were sent to them. It was unheard of of an African American being registered to vote in 1956. But this is my evidence that my parents were registered voters in Hines County in 1956. Give that a hand clap. evidence of my sister Obra Harrington Porter and myself desegregating public schools in 1966. I went to Provine High School. She was ninth grade. She went to Hardy Junior High School. There were letters that had to be sent from the superintendent that would go to our parents and then we would have to take them to the school so that the school would be able to know that we had been duly registered into the school. Now, that's just some of the background. The last piece on the table is a letter, a, a flyer. And that flyer was used to tell people not to go downtown Jackson. And that was because we had done an entire boycott of Jackson because blacks could not go into stores. We could not actually buy things because we couldn't try them on. We did not have jobs in department stores nor banks. Not anything where most of you can walk in now and you can see someone of color that looked like you. So that is a little bit of the background. I want you to start thinking about questions and I will stop shortly and give you a a presentation. And then I'm gonna leave a little time because I wanna hear your questions. I come out to schools, I talk to young people. Okay, so we're going to break on the tape right there. And I wanna come back to you. I want your feedback about those days of the 60s that some of you can remember. And if you can share other people that were tremendous in your life, that were mentors and how you felt like we got through those days, knowing that God was on our side. So can I get a few comments right here? And as you bring it up, comments, I made one error that I want to correct with you guys. And that is that was a picture of uh, the McCoys. And someone did ask me the question, who were those McCoys that you had on the table? And I had to share with them that it was Mrs. Uh, Rosie McCoy who had helped to get her husband' uh, name accepted as the first black named for a federal building. And I told them who Dr. McCoy was about how he was a, a tremendous physician and businessman. So, but many of you know Clary Collins Harvey, and like I said, that that was a person. Uh, what I wasn't able to say to them is you know, she was part of uh Church Women United and Women Power Unlimited was the organization that she started that my mother was a part of, and I have that book, I would recommend that book to any of you that want to read about Women Power Unlimited, it was about Christian women who were behind the scene, who helped to raise the money, provide the meals, help to provide the housing during those times in the 60s. And of course, Margaret Walker Alexander. I'm so glad that I have these wonderful pictures that I have put together in files for young people to see, and they can actually touch them on the table. So, Knowing that we are all on this path together and that we have come this far, one of the things that has been so encouraging for me with Reverend Buckley's uh, study of the Bible and how we should study the Bible, I cannot impress upon you how many times I've been discouraged or I was sitting somewhere getting ready to go into some high power meeting in Washington, D.C., And all I could think to do was open my Bible and look for scriptures that would guide me and and direct me. So uh, do we have some comments for some people that are online here with what we're talking about tonight, the living black history of our own community? All right. Okay, so so great to have your personal records of our history. I love it. And I think that's Jayla. Thank you, Jayla, for that comment. And for younger people, it we really do wanna share. Great job. I was at the school and heard your presentation. Great job, thank you. That's Jojo Turner. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you for letting me know I did okay. <laughs> uh, I thank you, Paula. Uh, it, it's good information. I don't know if it's outstanding. It's real. It's what happened to me, and not just to me. It, it, these are things that were there and available for so many people. I even shared with um, the, the students. You would not believe the questions that they asked. Uh, they were asking me about names. Uh, did I did I really know Shirley Chisholm or uh, and one little girl that was down front she said had you met harriet tutman and i did chuckle a little bit but i explained to her that harriet tutman was one of those black women in history that i read everything i could find out about it because i wanted to be like her i wanted to be one of the people that would lead my own people out of slavery in the 19th and 20th century or 20th century and now 21st century, because that's what we are supposed to do. God has allowed Christians through the history of the Bible to be anointed and be called to be leaders in the struggles. Are there other comments? Now what I'd like to share with you is what I consider to be the most powerful part of the morning with those young people. And this is a tape from the first half, uh, which was nine to 12. And then uh, from 12 to two, I did a session with the fifth and sixth graders, but we didn't tape that, we taped the first session. And um, I have to give you a, a notice that it was very difficult, but it was very moving for them And I know every time I do this now, when I was in Texas and I did it uh, on Saturday night, the response was incredible because people had never heard the story. There were so many people that said it was encouraging to see me. And that's what we have to do. We have to allow people to see us alive and well, even past our struggles. So if we can have the second part of that uh, presentation for today. This morning. people, because I want you to know when I started all of my freedom fighting, well, maybe I'll ask you how old do you think I was? 19. I'm free, I'm free. I'm free. learned in my 73 years now, that was 60 years ago, just in, 19, in 2020, I wrote this book. And it was based on what was happening with children around the country who were starting the Black Lives Matter movement. They didn't understand that we had done some of the same things in the 60s,
1: that we had
0: organized ourselves, that we protested even when adults did not want us to. But what they didn't understand was that there was an organization behind us. There were mentors, there were leaders, there were people who were showing us that yes, you can do this, but you need this in place. You need that in place. And what I call that was Sing of Life, C E N. Say that with me. C E N. Sing of Life stands for coalitions. You need people who are coming together. You need exchanges of information. I may know something, you may know something. We need to talk, we need to exchange information. And then the last part is, we needed to network. Network with people who were in our community, network with people who were not in our area, network with people who were coming from the North. Seeing of life became a pattern of my life in my teens. So, I wanna take you back to May 1963. There were some students, and you can find it on the internet, that were at Tulu College who were a part of that organization. They went to downtown Jackson to the Woolworths department store. And when they went into the department store, they sat at what used to be a lunch counter, and they wanted to be served. That was a demonstration. It was a nonviolent demonstration. As they sat at the lunch counter, whites started to come in and they threw ketchup on them. They threw mustard on them. They threw salt and pepper on them. And when there was absolutely no response, because as young people, we had been taught in protest to stand or to sit and take whatever was happening to us. Now that's a very powerful lesson when young people now don't seem to be able to take anything. But we did. And as they sat there and the whites become more angry, they started to pull them out of the seats and they started to kick them and beat them. And then the worst part was when the police finally came, They arrested the blacks and the white students, not the people that were doing the violence to them. So my story starts, as a teenager, I was very upset, and other teenagers in in my community were very upset that these college students had gotten arrested. What could we do about it? So we planned massive marches out of high schools. We designated the last day of school and we said, we are going to leave school and we are headed to the Capitol and we're gonna show the governor that we don't like what's going on. So that's where my story starts. Now you have to promise me, you are going to be very quiet while I do this excerpt from my book Grown at 13. It was May 31st, 1963, a Friday when school was about to close for the summer three month break. The weather was warm and clear. The youth in the movement had planned. This major walkout for freedom that would start at the exact time at all three black high schools so that we would arrive at the Capitol downtown at the same time. Being at Sam Brinkley High School meant we had instructions on the time our leaders would bring us out. Other leaders from the Linear High School and the Jim Hill High School. They had their instructions, too. Some of the teachers knew what we were doing, but they turned their backs and acted like nothing was going on. That was their way of support, in my mind, because getting involved then meant that a teacher would be fired. As we started to walk out, as a youth council member, I got to the front of the line with Cleveland Donald, who was the North Jackson Council President of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, the NAACP. Seemed like we quickly covered the entire Livingston Road, four lanes, as we started to march south up the street. From every direction, children were pouring out of the school, and many of them did not even know the whole plan. The weather was so hot, but we began to sing freedom songs. We shall not be moved. We were shouting slogans. Freedom now! Freedom now! Most of us were so upset because the Woolworths City Inn students had just happened a few days before. They were our friends, church members. And of course, they were from Tougaloo College, just north of Jackson. They were charged with disturbing the peace. Can you believe that? And the white students who attacked them Nothing was done to them. That was the reason we youth felt like we had to do something. So we moved towards Livingston Road and reached the Ridgeway Road intersection. We could see there was a barricade. There were paddy wagons. But there were also garbage trucks that usually picked up our garbage in the neighborhood. We kept moving until a bullhorn said, stop, go back to school, or go home. We just stood our ground singing even louder. We shall overcome. And all of a sudden, I was being thrown into the biggest category could hear the confusion now as children started to run in different directions. But there were hundreds that were arrested. Many were pulled into the other few paddy wagons and then the rest were pushed into the garbage dumps. As we were being driven away in the first paddy wagon, it was really hot in the back. No air. We sat on these metal seats with bars that separated us from the driver. It had been 90 degrees outside but it was even hotter in this small metal box known as a paddy wagon. My polyester outfit now felt so hot and it was starting to stick to my skin. I was on the right side of the back of, near the door, but I was too short to see anything from that seating position. There were at least four of us in this darkness in the back of the paddy wagon, but the only person I knew was Cleveland. Now, a new feeling came over me. It's a little hard to explain. Here I am now arrested and headed To jail. The person drove real fast for a long time and then all of a sudden he stopped. I could hear a noise like a door opening. It sounded like iron. We moved forward and it got real dark like we were going down inside of a structure. This was strange because I had never been in a police vehicle and definitely I had never been inside the Jackson downtown jail. The driver got out. He slammed the door. The paddy wagon was now sealed. All of a sudden, I felt hot. He turned the heat on. We had been told in Freedom School to breathe and hold our breath when we were in tear gas. But nobody told me what to do when the heat was turned on in a closed, slowly heating up paddy wagon. Soon I couldn't hardly breathe. We looked at each other. We practiced rotation breathing, pointing to each other to breathe and stop breathing. Now in prayer, I ask God to give me the breathing power for this feeling I couldn't identify. I realized it was fear coming at me for the first time, I thought I was going to die. It gives you what you need. I suffer from PTSD. That's post-traumatic stress disorder. That means even though I was reading, I was going back to the 60s. Military people, people who have been around folks who have gotten shot, they suffer from PTSD. So if you ever hear anyone say that term, do like my new friend did, come up and hug them. Give him a hand. Mm-hmm. All right, I stopped the taping at that point because they started to ask questions. And what I realized is that these young people that were no more than 12, 13 years old, many of them were crying. And one young lady said to me, she said, nobody should be treated like that. Another young lady said, what did you do when they took you downtown? I said, they took me downtown, but I also went to the fairground where by the night of that Friday night, there were more than a thousand children. They reported several hundred or 600 or something like that. But there were at least a thousand of us. What was incredible was the amount of us that were Christians because we started singing, we started praying. And then we did the most incredible thing that we could ever do. They did bring food that was cold. And one of the young people asked, what did they bring you? I said, they brought us bologna and heart's bread and warm bark drinks and bark's company. I never drank a bark drink after that. Uh, And and another student asked, well, wasn't that inhumane? That wasn't very kind, to bring you cold food. I said, well, that was a sign of the times. We were not treated like we were humans. We were mistreated. And they had started the program out with Maya Angelou's poem, Now I Rise. And I said to them at that point, you see, I did rise. And they gave me the biggest applause. I think it's imperative, and I'm saying this in Bible class tonight, because I think pastor has been saying this so much to us. It makes no sense for us to study the Bible, Bible if we can't live the Bible, if we can't follow the pattern of Jesus Christ, because all he did was show love. He never came back with hate. He never came back with bad actions. And it's not an easy journey, but we have to show our children that all of us didn't get broken. All of us didn't die. All of us did not lose our right minds and that we are still serving a true and a living God. More comments now, because this Bible study on Black History Month Back to Habaka, it's about having visions, writing it down and making it plain. So let me get some more feedback from some people. Wow, this is a long one. Let me see if I can read it. It's important that this racial climate uh, to ensure our young people know the truth of our history. You are absolutely right. Um, we have so many things, and I, I'm not reading the last part of that. We have, no, we have so many things that are being written about us that is not correct. And so we need more of us to write those things. And I, I just want to do a shout out. I know I will call Miss um, Tisdale because I just got back home um, night before last, and I saw the Jackson Advocate where she is outlining pastors who are writing and and ministers of our area and i think that is so tremendous that we are being lifted by our own media because we don't expect that to happen in other mediums uh so yes any other comments that we have right now thank you so much for that comment so let me just kind of round us out tonight because I know we don't have very much time to be together. One of the last things I left the young people with was a poem that is in my book and I'd like to leave that with you all tonight too because what I see so often is that we don't encourage each other enough and we find so many places in the Bible. I I was sharing with some young people In Lamarck, Texas, Lamarck. I have to say that to myself several times. It's right south of Houston. But I had to remind them sometime that God sends people on our path. And um, we know the story of when Ananias got the uh, dream and he was told to go and talk to Saul, who was now Paul, who had been on the Damascus Road and that he needed to be taught. And we have messages sometimes we know that there are people we should be talking to and we should be encouraging and i'm asking you to do what all of us should be doing as we study the word of god as we meditate on the word of god then we listen to the messages and we listen to the instructions and those instructions are given to us based on our callings on our lives so i just want to end with uh, a part of the poem that is in the back of my book um that is called uh, the vision of a 13 year old okay here i am (laughs) let me go backwards here and it shows me with my wonderful afro i know all of you all had one of those in the 60s too In fact, I even had mine up until the 70s when I had my first baby. But yeah, this this is the vision of a 13-year-old. And um, this is what part of that poem says. Let your living testify from within your soul to the highest power. For the works you are called to has its own appointed hour. People will hear with their hearts that your calling is so real. For well, the message you deliver reinforces in them God's will. Take courage when you get down and sometimes may stumble. Stay grounded and miracle based reality that keeps you humble. The battles will come. And the foes work hard to get in your way. Just stand tall in determination as the Almighty orders each day. When you are called and the tests are great with little rest, getting out of your own way will be recorded at each past test and you will know that your calling and your vision were made plain as right things done are marked finished next to your name. Ladies and gentlemen, I know this has been a different Bible study but I can tell you it's been from my heart. And I do thank Pastor Buckley for allowing me to be transparent and to let you know a little bit about the journey that I'm on as I'm trying, not trying, I am, I'm talking to every young person and every person that will listen to know that what I have been about in these 60 years since grown at 13 period of my life has been anointed and has been a part of his calling. And he has allowed me to travel to places to meet people, to be engaged and to be mentored by some of the greatest Americans. And I like to say that word, we are all Americans and we are of African descent we are proud americans and we have a message because there are divine callings on our lives and as we study god's word as we meditate on god's word as we fast and we pray we cannot go wrong we must tell the story of how he has brought us through the blood of the slaughter and he has not left us because there is a bright star There is another day coming. And as I said, not too long ago, at my first cousin's funeral three weeks ago, I was reading Revelation 21. There is going to be a new earth. And our Lord, our Savior is coming back again. And we want to be ready. We want to be on task. We want to build the kingdom here on earth so that when the book is open, that book of life, it will have our names in it too. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to share tonight and happy ending of Black History Month 2024. See you Sunday, blessings. Oh God, we thank you for this night. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your giving us a history that we are proud of. We thank you for Cade Chapel and the openness and our social witness responsibilities that we take really, really seriously. And we thank you for us being able to go out with courage, with determination, with strong voices, sharing that still the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Amen. Have a good ending of the week and I'll see you Sunday.